0: Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, uh, before we pray, let me um, just thank Jacob for inviting me back. It's, it's good to be home. Let us pray. Come, Creator Spirit. Visit the minds that you have made and fill our hearts that you have created with heavenly gratitude. You who were called the paraclete, gift of the Most High God, living fountain, fire, love, ointment for the soul. You sevenfold gift, finger of the right hand of God, promised in worship to the fathers, enriching them by word of mouth light the light of our senses, pour love into our hearts, firm up the weakness of the body with undying strength, cast the enemy far away, send immediate peace, so that with you in the lead we may avoid every harm. May we come to know the Father through you and the Son as well, spirit of both of them, and may we trust in you at all times and forevermore. Amen. Now uh, the prayer we just prayed was written by a 9th century monk an obscure monk actually I found out this morning the song that we just sang the first song is actually written by Rabanus this 9th century monk Now Rabanus understands things about the Holy Spirit that we need to try to wrap our minds around this morning things we have either forgotten or overlooked or have been misinformed about or just lazy to understand or or things actually we just don't care about. But if we tune our ear into what Rabanus is saying, if, if we allow him to guide us, if, if we permit Rabanus to enter the pulpit for a while here this morning, and if we give him a hearing, he's going to reveal to us Things about the Holy Spirit that may tweak us, and correct us, and inform us, and maybe even make us a little uncomfortable about how we currently understand who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and why he came. So to understand the Holy Spirit, let's first begin with our, with our mental images of, of God, Now, let's have a little fun here this morning. If I asked you to picture the creator of the universe, to literally close your eyes right now for a second and conjure up an image of the creator God, what image would come to mind? Well, I'm sure for some of us, um, that's the image of an old man with a long white beard sitting up on a cloud in heaven. And if I'm not careful in about 20 years, I'm going to look like that, old man. That was supposed to be funny, as Jake always says. Well, we can thank Michelangelo for that image, right? For screwing up how we imagine God forever. Because that image, painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, is branded... In our minds forever. Yet the apostles John and Paul elasticize our understanding. They, they, they stretch what we believe and, and expand our categories by suggesting that the Creator is not an old man sitting up in heaven on the clouds, but Christ Himself. I mean, Saint John has the audacity to say, "In the beginning was the Word, who we know is Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made." And Saint Paul, Saint Paul has the nerve to say this: "The Son." is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. Yet Rabanus pushes the envelope even further, and and has the gall to say something that flies in the face of all of this. Listen to the opening lines of that prayer again. Rabanus says, come, creator spirit, visit the minds that you have made and fill our hearts that you have created with heavenly gratitude. What? Now, What does Rabanus see here that we're missing, despite the rote statements that, that sometimes drone from our mouths each Sunday? And that brings me to my first point. You see, in the third stanza of the Nicene Creed, which we actually won't say today, but in the third stanza of the Nicene Creed, we say this maybe sometimes without paying attention. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Now, now how is the Holy Spirit, the life giver, and not the Father, the old man, sitting up on the clouds in heaven? Well, the creed and Rabanus understand what constitutes life. Because life is in the breathing. You see, what animates every living creature is breath. It's, it's air, or as the periodic table says, O2. And Rabanus is picking up on the fact that the word spirit, both in Hebrew and Greek, ruach in Hebrew, and, and pneuma in Greek, and pneuma is where we get the word in English, pneumonia, and pneumatic, well, well these words translate into English as spirit, as we just as we just said, or breath or even wind. The wind we hear about in Acts 2 in the Acts 2 reading we just heard as the spirit arrives on the scene. So, the spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God provides life. Which means that the band The Hollies in 1974, and I know I'm dating myself here, well, they were 100% correct. They were absolutely correct and understood this phenomenon when they sang, and I'm not going to sing it, all I need is the air that I breathe. Because we know one thing, we all know one thing, to stop breathing, to run out of oxygen, to suffocate, means we're physically dead. So, to lack the spirit means we're spiritually dead. So, to have the breath of life, the Holy Spirit, is to be endowed with life. And that life comes to us. That, that life starts to animate us. And, and that life unites us to God when two things happen. First, when we trust that God has acted in Jesus Christ, in his perfect life, his death in our place, and his resurrection. And second, when the waters of baptism are poured over our heads. And those are the two things that happened in that scene in Acts 2. They all turned repented, they turned and believed what God had done in Jesus Christ, and they were all baptized. Now, the wind we hear about in the Acts 2 reading, the rushing and violent wind that Saint Luke reports, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, why did that wind choose to blow on that day? Why did the Holy Spirit come and constitute the church on that particular day? Well, to answer this question, let's first begin by defining the word Pentecost. You see, the word Pentecost simply refers to the 50 days that follow the great redemptive event. The death of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of our Lord. The death of that sets us free from sin, death, and the devil. The death that took place on a certain Friday afternoon, right before the Passover began. But there was another great redemptive event of God. One we might call the the penultimate event. Some 1,300 years before the time of Christ. And that's the day that God led the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, what we commonly call the Exodus. Now, that day is marked by a festival as well, the first Passover, which was the feast that the Israelites celebrated God's love and care for them by sparing them and delivering them. But not from sin, death, and the devil, but from bondage in Egypt. But 50 years after that first redemptive event, 50 uh, days after um, the celebration of that first Passover, something interesting happened. Moses descended the mountain of God With the law. You see, on that first Pentecost, if I can call it that, on that first 50 day festival following that first Passover, God gave His people the law. And that law would define them, that that law would constitute them, that that law would set them apart. But that law, as St. Paul reminds us, would also bring condemnation. Now that law would literally be their way of life. Literally. The law would be their way of life. You see, if we look at the opening verses of Psalm 119, which is the the key psalm about the law, we hear how it was literally their way of life. It says... Happy are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those whose way is blameless and who walk in the law of the Lord. So the metaphor used for their way of life was walking in the law. In other words, the law was the path that they were to follow. Now, it's no coincidence that in Galatians 5, St. Paul picks up on this echo between the two 50 50-day festivals, but like St. Paul, he flips the entire thing on its head when he writes this. He writes, walk in the Spirit and do not grat- gratify the desires of the flesh, because if you walk in the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. And again, in 2 Corinthians uh, 3, he writes this, Now, if the ministry of death, chiseled in letters on stone tablets, came in glory, how much more will the ministry of the Spirit come in glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, that's the law, much more does the ministry of justification abound in glory? That's the Spirit. And this brings me to my second point. While the law was a good thing and did its job for a while, it was merely a placeholder, or as St. Paul refers to it, a custodian. You see, while the law set Israel apart and defined them against the rest of the world and showed them how to live and guided them through life and revealed the perfections of God, it was a stand-in, a proxy, until God would send the Holy Spirit to do these things, to set us apart from the world, to, to define the church. To, to show us how to live, to, to guide us through life, and to reveal, not God in a bland way, but Jesus Christ to the world. And it's in that last point, revealing Jesus Christ to the world, that we see the Holy Spirit's chief vocation, as our gospel reading makes clear this morning. You see, the Spirit's entire ministry, his his whole sense of purpose, the goal of his entire existence is to glorify Jesus, is to proclaim Christ, or as our gospel reading puts it this morning, to testify to Jesus. And as Rabanus picks up in the prayer that I read and in the song that we sang, may we come to know the Father through you, And the son as well, spirit of both of them. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a narcissist. He's not about himself. He's he's not self-centered. He's not egocentric. And he'll never seek vainglory. But instead, he's all about the other. And that other is none other than Jesus Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit is one person, as difficult as that is, to wrap our minds around with one purpose, to testify to the truth about Jesus Christ. And those who share in the Spirit through faith and baptism, and I use the word share here on purpose, because the Holy Spirit is not like a dollar bill that's been exchanged for a roll of pennies that we distribute out amongst the church. The Holy Spirit is one, ontologically one, and can't be divvied up or divided. But in his oneness, because he's one, and we share in him, he binds us together as the church through faith and baptism. And as the church shares in him, through these things, through faith and baptism, his vocation becomes ours. And this brings me to my last point. You see, those who share in the Holy Spirit are also those who share in the Spirit's vocation to proclaim jesus christ to the world because those who share in the spirit feel compelled to point to what the spirit points to which is the hope that we have in the gospel and and those who share in the spirit will find creative ways to do this because the spirit has found creative ways to reveal christ to us and to the rest of the world. Now, of course, this will look radically different in all of our lives, right? Like, we'll each share that hope, the hope that we have, in very unique ways with the people that we come in contact with. But wherever we show up, the message of the gospel will show up with us, and Christ will be proclaimed. Now, I want to close by talking a little bit about Beyonce. But not the Beyonce that Ben always talks about. The Anglican Beyonce, Fleming Rutledge. But the real Beyonce. Because there was a great meme that went viral on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter over the last week. Because Beyonce was a no-show She was a no-show for the first time at the 2018 Met Gala up at the museum. Now, the meme pictured the red carpet with no one on it. And it said, Beyonce arriving as the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Now, while this was fun to read and, and, and something to giggle about, as we just did, let me remind you of this. Had the Holy Spirit made an appearance at the Met Gala, the world would have known it. Because that rushing wind would have tossed the place inside out. And tongues of fire would have sat on the top of people's heads. And hundreds of languages would have filled the atmosphere. And Jesus and the gospel would have been proclaimed. And everyone would have been filled with awe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. Produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.